Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 56, brought to you by the Five Poket SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. And as always, here to talk about quarterbacks in the draft around the world, quarterback one in our hearts, in our minds. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Also, follow his uh, podcast work over at Pat's Pulpit. Uh, Mark, today we're going to be covering your top quarterbacks in the class. On the next show, we're going to focus on developmental guys, so a league-wide look here, and then we'll kind of focus in more on some Eagles-related topics as they search for a, uh, a backup option there other than Nate Sudfeld, of course. But for the new listeners of this show, it's been like three weeks. I just realized that when I called you. If you're checking in this close to the draft, I get it. A quick qualifier. We start each show with a bit of history and banter, so if you're not into that kind of thing and you want to get straight to the takes, you probably want to fast-forward about four minutes, five minutes. If you hit Justin Herbert, you've gone too far. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well. It has been a while. It, it, it's good to see your face again. It's good to see the quarantine beard is coming in nicely. I refuse to shave, period. Look, we're just getting by. As I've said on Twitter a couple of times, if you make it to the timeline in the morning, it's a W. Like everything after that is just kind of like icing on top of the cake because these are strange times. And like you said, we usually begin with a historical reference that I could be pithy and say, Walk outside to a window or just walk to a window and open it or look outside because we're living history. This is all very, very, very strange. But I am going to have a reading. I am currently in my quarantine time reading John Adams Under Fire by Dan Abrams. It's a book about John Adams and his representation of the British soldiers who executed colonial citizens in Boston at the Boston Massacre. It's fun. It's a fascinating little book. But – those of you who are new to the show might not remember the fact that your boy here was once a lawyer. So reading these passages about how lawyers were viewed in the colonies is absolutely amazing. Speaking of Adams, and I'm reading now from the book, the fact that Adams had chosen to swim against the rising tide by agreeing to defend Captain Preston and the soldiers should not have come as a great shock. The man was a lawyer, which already made him suspect. While lawyers were not considered a public nuisance, most of them were viewed with a mild distrust. They were men known to take advantage of people's misfortune, men who too often relied on fancy language and cunning to deceive the common folk. There were many among the lawyers who had learned just enough to be able to use the law for their own enrichment. At times, the lawyers seemed a lot more interested in raising their own status and getting paid to do it than getting to the truth of a matter. In fact, some of the original colonies considered lawyers, quote, base and vile, close quote, and enacted statutes prohibiting the practice of law. Legal questions were decided by judges appointed by the community leaders specifically because they had no legal training and therefore could be relied upon to apply common sense to settle a dispute. Adams himself shared these sentiments. While studying at Harvard, he had written to a classmate, quote, let us look upon a lawyer. 
In the beginning of life, we see him fumbling and raking amidst the rubbish of writs, indictments, pleas, ejectments, and a thousand other lingua vitae words that have neither harmony nor meaning. When he gets into business, he often forments more quarrels than he composes and enriches himself at the expense of impoverishing others more honest and deserving than himself. Besides the noise and the bustle of the courts and the labor of inquiring into and pleading dry and difficult cases, they have very few charms in my eye. <laughs> That's just beautiful, man. I like that. I mean, it just – it reminds me of two things. One, why I got out of the practice of law and two, <laughs> draft Twitter because this phrase, okay, there were many among these lawyers who had learned just enough to be able to use the law for their own enrichment. <laughs> that reminds me of me over the past couple of days when I've been writing up top 11s at like interior defensive line <laughs> and linebacker and I'm yeah. like – has great play strength at the point of attack. It's like I'm dropping in phrases that sound yeah. right but mean nothing. Yeah. And that's draft Twitter in a nutshell. I, I've talked about this with Brandon Thorne. It, it's tough to like be an expert at all the different positions. I mean, that's why I have you on this show because quarterback, right. as I've often said, one of the most misunderstood, most talked about positions in the league. So I decided I need to go with a guy that knows what the heck he's talking about with that. Now, you have your weak points too. We all have our weak points. So trying to yep. talk about this entire class, just position by position, when you know what your strengths and weaknesses are, definitely right. a challenge. But yeah, we thank you for clicking on uh, on yeah. all of our thanks for listening. Time. <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Thanks for the clicks. I mean, look, like, do I know enough to watch like guards? And see, like, who is good and who is not. Yeah, like, I could figure it out. I, I know what I'm watching. But, like, there are, and I say this all the time, there are much smarter people than me when it comes to pretty much every other position <laughs> in this sport than quarterback. Right. Like, if you want to read about wide receivers, like, don't look at me. Like, read Mike. Like, read you. Like, don't come to me. Like, if you want an offensive line, hi, Brandon Thorne. Right. Hi, Duke Mannyweather, who, by the way, I don't know if you've seen this, Mike, has been destroying people over Makai Becton. Now, Beck is yeah. one of his guys, but some randoms keep coming up to him saying he can't pass said, he can't pass block, and he just drops like five minutes of his entire pass sets in a single game and says, all right, tell me where I'm wrong. And yeah. people are like, well, if you can't see it, you don't know what you're talking about. It's like the guy played in the league. Right. The guy like teaches the position now. Like, right. What? Well, Lane, Lane Johnson's not saying that to him. Lane Johnson is training with him. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, it's so weird to see. It's just out of your lane, man. Would you ever try? Would you ever try that with Duke? I would no, never. No, absolutely lose that. not. I don't <laughs> test the offensive line Twitter. Period. Like I don't drop OL t takes on the timeline. I don't. If I do, it's like, man, this guy's really good and fun to watch. I would never, <laughs> in a million years, take to Twitter and say this offensive lineman is bad. Yeah. Because I would die. I would literally. They would like, destroy me. Like I'm not going to ch challenge them. No way. Before I have like a like a real take about a certain play. I'll either typically send it to Thorne or I'll text uh, Trey Thomas and see what he has to say about it just to confirm that I'm not an idiot and I'm about to get killed online because OL Twitter, man, will they come after your neck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they. let's not forget, we love Duke, okay? We love Duke. The man pulled the SUV over. <laughs> to record a video talking about finishing. Our boy was like on the way to the grocery store, <laughs> saw a take on the timeline about how finishing is important at the offensive line position <laughs> and pulled the Escalade over to say, no, 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 friends. Yeah. <laughs> and recorded like a five-minute video, which you and I, well, mostly you, 
recorded a parody of talking yeah. about how finish it was non-negotiable when you play Battlefield 1. That's right. That's right. But that's how legendary that moment is. So certainly I'm not going to like drop something on the timeline, especially about Makai Becton right now. Right. <laughs> without like at least running by Duke. Okay. Am I seeing this right? And more times than not, he would come back to me and say, no, absolutely not. And by the way, I can't let this slide. Drop the t- Trey Thomas name there with oh. a little you could you could just slide into Trey's text. That's come nicely on, done. He's, no, I he's, know. he's he's, he's a good a guy. Chick. He cut our, we talked to him a lot. Yeah, our first interaction, I asked him, Hey, am I being an idiot or because this is what I see? And he's like, Yeah, you're being an idiot, but let's talk through it. And he was really cool about it. And since then, you know, we kind of bonded. I go on 97.5 all the time and whatnot, but yeah, great dude. But we are not here to drop offensive lineman takes for the reasons that we just explained. Right. We are here to talk about a position that Mark knows very well. We're here to talk about the uh, the NFL draft class 2020. We're going to talk about these quarterbacks. We're going to go. We're going to go through Mark's rankings of the top quarterbacks in this class. And like I said at the top of the show, we are then on the next show next week going to talk about more developmental projects. So league-wide, then we'll go Eagles. Today is league-wide. Let's go with quarterback one. I'm assuming it has to be Joe Burrow. And look, you can look at Burrow and you can see the great wide receivers he has. Jamar Chase is, is you know, one of the consensus wide receiver ones coming into next year. Justin Jefferson's probably getting selected in the first round. Thaddeus Moss is a good weapon. Clyde Edwards-Slayer is a good weapon. Joe Brady is the guy that I wanted for the Eagles offensive coordinator position. He lands with the Panthers, totally revamped that pass in the offense. There's a lot of great things around Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow still might be the best piece of that. So what do you think of, of Burrow at one? Do you have any concerns with that great situation? Or are you just like watch the film, watch this guy work? I mean, I'm more in the watch the film, watch this guy work category. And I'm, I'm going to get to why Burrow and the rise of Burrow is real. But I think it's important to look back at 2018. Steven Ruiz over at For the Win wrote a piece that came out on Tuesday, sort of looking at his 2018 tape. And there were some question marks about him. When I studied him last summer, I was like, this is a intriguing guy. Can't wait to see him down at the Senior Bowl because that's the kind of year he'll have. He'll be a guy that because of playing at LSU and the pedigree, he'll get an invite. Might be a day three type guy. He can make some anticipation throws, moves in the pocket pretty well, but doesn't really put it all together. What's been huge about Burrow this year, it starts with Brady's offense and not in the sense that I think people expect. Two years ago, they were a predominantly maximum protection team. Most of their route concepts were two, three receivers at most. This year, Joe Brady's offense, I think it was 83% of their passing plays were a five-man protection scheme. That puts a lot on the quarterback's plate. Yeah. Our mutual friend Betts at All22 on Twitter is on the timeline right now going through Burrow tape. And he put up a clip of a play from the SEC championship game against Georgia, which is indicative of why Burrow is great and why he'll be successful in the pros. It's a six-man pressure scheme with blitzes from the slot, blitzes from a boundary corner. There's stuff happening everywhere. It's six-man pressure, five-man concept in pass protection. He's responsible for finding the sixth man and throwing the heart off of it. And he does it without missing a beat. Like, tasked with doing that, so often has prepared him for the play speed and processing speed he's going to need to be successful in the NFL. Yeah, And then you expand it beyond that. The accuracy to all levels, the competitive toughness, the pocket movement, the leadership abilities, the arm strength, which is, which is sufficient to play in the National Football League. It's not the best arm in the class, but it's good enough. You put that all together, it's as clean of an evaluation as you can get. The only real flaw that people can find in him is that, is he a one-year wonder? Or is he too old or yeah. whatever? Like, I throw that out the window. Like, you see what he was asked to do in Brady's offense. You know it's an NFL system. How? 
because now Joe Brady is the offensive coordinator in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Like this is a, this is a system that is ripped from the pages of Sean Payton's playbook. Like he's going to be fine. People might worry about him in Cincinnati. Why? Because the offensive line might struggle. Okay. Again, I reiterate, five man protections on eighty three percent of the time. Like he's going to be fine. Like don't overthink it. Don't try to talk yourself out of it. Don't tuck yourself into Kirk Bankert as like QB1 or whatever other crazy things we've seen over the past couple of years. It's easy. He's one. Put him in Sharpie to the Bengals at one and just move on. Is is he the best quarterback prospect to come out since possibly Andrew Luck? I've been doing this professionally, and I say professionally like loosely because come on, you and I, we're not really <laughs> professionals, are we? I mean, really? Um, but my first real draft class in the evaluation space was the Winston Mariota one. Mm. He's the the top guy that I've seen okay. like, out of that. Like you could say maybe Kyler Murray, but they're different quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in terms of like, you know, NFL prototype passers from the pocket like burrows the guy like murray might have an advantage because he might be more fit for the modern day but he's still somebody that's outside of the box like yeah burrow checks all the boxes so yeah i I think so i mean who else would there be really right i mean we've had some bad quarterback classes since then yeah and so yeah i think he's that guy yeah and comparing him to murray like burrow still does a ton with his feet to extend plays and and you know i mean the first play of the national championship game Running around yeah. like a crazy person in the end. Isaiah <laughs> Simmons, who is literally, I just did his write-up in the top 11 linebackers today. I compared him to any superhero you want, except for Batman. Batman was a rich kid with toys. Everybody else was a legitimate superhuman, and that's what who Isaiah Simmons is. He blitzes from the slot. Burrow sees it, runs like a circle around him, escapes the pocket, and Simmons is kind of like looking around after the play like, are you, are you kidding? This is what tonight's going to be like? He threw, a, yeah. he threw on the move to his right, threw a 40-yard pass to Thaddeus, Thaddeus Moss, like in the yeah. air, 40 yards. And it was perfect. Like, With a superhuman chasing him. Yeah. Just ice in his veins, man. The guy's yeah. a gamer. So, yeah, un- unquestionably quarterback one in this class. Let's let's go to your number two. Let's go to, to a Tunga Vailoa, which that's the first time I've actually said that last name out loud. I didn't butcher it, so I got that going for me. As you've heard on the Kiss and Solak nice. shows, terrible with him. There was a lot to to consider with Tua because of all the, the the wave of news that we're getting. You've got guys like Mike Tannenbaum, Rex Ryan, Mike Lombardi, all coming out and saying, you know, he's too injury prone. And, and we're finding in, uh, about new injuries as we go through this process. Like Lombardi said that there were two broken wrists that we did not know about. And the Miami Herald, within 24 hours, had confirmed, independently confirmed that, yes, at least one of those had gone unreported and he did break that wrist. So not only do you have the hip, but you also have the ankles and the wrist and so on and so forth. And look, I'm no doctor, so I couldn't tell you what all of that means. But if Lombardi is accurate in his reporting that at least one team has failed him physically, and as we hear more and more GMs talk about how he's too much of a risk in the top 10, talent-wise, yeah. This is a, a top five guy, no, no question. How much stock do you put into the fact that all of these injury concerns exist? Would that change? Because as we often do, we assume clean medical when we do these rankings because we're not doctors. But is Herbert close enough to jump him? Do you think Herbert goes above him? And what do you think of like Tua overall? This is the toughest part of the draft evaluation this year for me is figuring out how to view Tua. Because if you strip away the medical part, He's also fairly clean. There are things that he needs to clean up. You know, a lot of people like to say about Tua, you know, when it comes to his evaluation that, oh, he was playing with 
let's face it, he was playing with four first-round wide receivers because Ruggs and Judy are great. Well, the guys next year, Smith and Waddle, are just as good, if yeah. not better. Yeah, like, good. those guys are legit too. And so people say, well, how much of it was them versus what he was doing? And I do think there are times on film where you could see he was almost allowed himself to rela- relax after the snap. Like, you would see the coverage pre-snap. And sort of just assume that, okay, well, everything's going to play out the way I think it's going to play out because that's what they're doing and my guys are so good. I'll give you an example of that. He only threw three interceptions last year, like not a ton. He was hurt, missed some time, of course. One of those was a red zone throw against Texas A&M where they're running mirrored Haas Juke. He thinks, as he confirms pre-snap, that they're in cover two and the backside safety is going to cap that vertical route to the backside so he doesn't have to look him off, doesn't have to worry about him. He's just going to throw the other seam route. And as soon as the ball is snapped, he gives it a cursory glance, then stares at his target. And then what does that backside safety do? He reads his eyes, jumps it for an interception. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, he get into this mode where I know what's going to happen. My guys are going to be there. It's going to be fine. And that's a problem for him. He needs to stop assuming, so to speak. There's also the tendency of his to try to create too much with his legs. One of his great points is the fact that he can move well and extend plays with his feet. But he does it too much. It's Wentz-esque in a sense because he relies on it and has led to some lower body injuries, which is something, again, we're trying to put aside. But that sort of speaks to how hard it is with him, you know, because the medical factor is always a point. But trying to strip it out, he's still very clean. The problem becomes, are what we, is what we're hearing right now rooted in truth? I believe some of it is. Yeah. I know I could say, you know, dating back to the Cedar Bowl, and you probably heard the same things from people. In and around teams, there was a hesitancy about his hip. As to these new issues, the risks and him being failed by two different teams, I appreciate Mike Lombardi. I think the world of the guy, I, I, th- I value his voice in this space. But I also do know that when he says something, it's hard not to picture in the background the hoodie <laughs> himself trying to pull some strings. And would it be beyond the realm of comprehension that – Bill Belichick, having lost Tom Brady, is trying to get a Nick Saban quarterback who checks all the boxes but might have some gray areas when it comes to medicals to fall to a spot where he could get him. I don't put anything past Belichick. Exactly. (laughs) And especially, again, walk to your nearest window and look outside. Nobody is outside. Why? Because we're all locked indoors right now. So it's even like more of a situation, more of a scenario where you could make a guy seem bad from a medical standpoint. Teams might not trust not having a full medical on him, oh. I'll pass on him. He slips to, say, 16, 17, 18, <laughs> and suddenly you hear that, you know, we have a trade from Rich Eisen on the broadcast, and it's like, oh, the New England Patriots are coming up. Now, do I think the Patriots really trade up for a quarterback? No. I, I, we could talk about it if you want, but I think they're going to roll with Stidham. But if Tua falls, it's not outside the realm of possibility. Right. So it, it's, again, long story short, it's a weird evaluation on the field between the lines. He's clean, but the medical stuff I think is legitimate. And if it is real, which I do think it is, you have to think Herbert probably gets picked before him because in this current day and age and climate, how much do you trust what you're getting? Yeah. And taking a quarterback top five, if you're not sure about his medical and it's to that degree is a risky yeah proposition you're definitely going to lose your job if you're wrong about that and yeah. we, when we come back we'll talk about the guy that might leapfrog to we'll talk about justin herbert your quarterback three that's coming up next here on the qb sco show and we are back here on the qb sco show episode 56 brought to you by the five folk at sb nation bleeding green nation michael kissed here with mark schofield mark 
Let's talk about your quarterback three and a guy that could go top five. We're looking at you, Miami Dolphins, possibly in a trade-up, too. They could move up to three. I know the Lions are talking with a lot of people, but Justin Herbert from Oregon, you know, of the top guys, I think Herbert's arm strength, you know, his ability to push the ball down the field, really attractive about his game. You're looking at a guy that's six foot six, 236 pounds, prototypical size, prototype arm. You can see why the league loves him and why he's going in the top five, top 10. So, Mark, what about his game? Other than the obvious answer of he's big, big arm, blah, 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 blah. I think there's more to his game. And I think he answers some questions about his ability to work in a pro system when you look at what he did at the Senior Bowl as well, because of the Oregon offense had some limitations to it as far as projecting him to the NFL. So what do you like about Herbert? Like you said, there are the things that will have the NFL scouts loving him. Big athlete, big arm. Like, yeah, checks those boxes. What I like about Herbert the more I – again, I've been doing this quote-unquote professionally since 2015, that draft class, and I used to be so consumed with how they read defenses and can they tell the difference between cover two and cover four, cover one, cover three, cover seven, stubby stump, all that stuff. I would spend all my time watching these guys like breaking down the pre-snap phase and, oh, the corner's hips are angled just so. So that looks like a man turn versus a zone turn. And I would get consumed by that. It all goes out the window for the most part when studying these guys because for the most part, some exceptions aside, they're not asked to really dive into coverages that deep. It's middle of the field open, middle of the field closed. What they're really working towards is can they read leverage and make leverage throws based off what they're seeing. That's what I love about Herbert. The ability to sort of read leverage and throw based on what he's seeing and throw people to space is something he does extremely well. And there are always plays – going through a draft cycle that stick with me. And one is a throw he had, 2018, switch verticals concept against California, balls on the right hash around the 10-yard line, their own 10-yard line. They're, like I said, switch verticals, slot receivers inside. He releases to the boundary, goes vertically. California's defense plays it man straight up. They don't switch it, so that slot corner has to get over to the boundary and fight through traffic a bit. Herbert sees that makes a back shoulder throw 40 yards downfield on an absolute line and it's right hash to left sideline. And he does that knowing full well that corner's not getting there. Right. If he leads it inside or tries to lead him a bit, that play is getting blown up. So he throws it back shoulder on a dime, on a rope. And I proverbial pet put the pen down moment for me. Right. Like I think he's got that ability to read leverage, which is going to help him at the next level. I think that Oregon offense was brutal for him as an evaluation standpoint. It was just goes, hitches, bubbles, tunnels. Like there wasn't a lot to it. So when he has to throw over the middle, like he had an interception against Cal this year on a seam route. I don't know if he knows how to layer throws. I don't know if he knows how to drop them behind the linebackers in front of the safeties. Like that's a question mark. Yeah, I think my biggest question, just just to jump on that, reading the middle of the field for Herbert seems like an adventure. I thought he did pretty well with it when he ran Zach Taylor's offense, Zach Taylor yeah. from the from the Bengals. But that that for me is like the biggest one. Because like you said, you know, perimeter screens and everything like that make life easy on your quarterback and everything like that. Life doesn't exist like that in the NFL to that extent. Right. He's going to have to meet, read the middle of the defense. If he struggles early on in his career, it's probably because of that. Yeah, let me ask you this, because yeah. this is something I've struggled with, and we can talk about it when we get to Easton too, but since you just brought it up, that read in the middle of the field, how do you weigh that? Like, for example, with Eason, I think he was asked to read the middle of the field more. Yeah. But he doesn't always do it well. <laughs> right. But then there are guys like Herbert 
that weren't really asked to do it at all. Like, do we value Eason's inconsistency more than a guy like Herbert that was barely asked to do it or love? Like, that's one of the questions. Every draft cycle, I come away with questions. Like, last year, it was process over results, Murray versus Haskins, right? Because Murray was all about results. Haskins was about the process. And were we finally going to flip that? This year, it's like, how do you value somebody who doesn't do something versus somebody who's asked to do something but doesn't do it well? Yeah, like, you have to knock the guy for not being able to do it. I mean, he has experience. Like, Eason's just scattershot, and we'll talk about him in a second. Like, his decision-making when reading the middle of the field, like, he has all the arm in the world to make those throws. It's just his brain that isn't connected for me with with what's right and what's wrong. But you're right. Like, it is a big question with Herbert not being asked to do it as much. And it's that age-old question of what can they do versus what were they asked to do? Well, sometimes you get like situations with Jerry Judy, like he he wasn't asked to line up outside a whole bunch, but when he did, he dominated. Now Justin Jefferson was asked to asked to do that, and when he did, he struggled a little bit, but he has limited experience with it, right? Like, is that is that the correlation you were going to make there? It, it is, but I don't want to slip into the Justin Jefferson discourse because we right. are going to have a debate about Justin <laughs> Jefferson at some point okay. because I am pro Justin Jefferson. Okay. I am adamantly pro Justin Jefferson, including the idea that he can play on the boundary. Okay. I, I You look at 2018, he was asked to be in boundary receiver. He can do it. It's not his strength. It's like- yeah, I'm not saying he can't do it. I think he was inconsistent doing it. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. Okay. It's just when I see the takes that he is only a slot receiver, he can't play outside. Right. That's where I kind of have to push back a bit. It's like he can do it. Would I want to line him, in the, line him up on the boundary like 80% of the time? No. I, I don't want to do that. I'd rather have him in a slot or in a tight yep. split. But mm-hmm. okay, we're on the same page. Yeah, back to these. Back to these. <laughs> quarterbacks don't matter. Okay, they, they just don't. None of these guys matter. It's, it's all like system. Our, it's like our good friend Bryce Rossler. He every once in a while he has a brilliant point, and his brilliant point was this: just say they're all bad. They're all bad. Just say they're all bad. You'll be right more often than not. Right. Yeah. The yeah. NFL gets it gets it wrong in the first round more than yeah. they get it right, and especially the rounds after. But we, we might as well continue on that. So we have questions about Herbert. We know what the questions are. We know what the strengths are and whatnot. We can we can move on to number four, who is a guy who has a lot of questions. And all those questions came up after he had a very promising 2018 and then struggled a lot in 2019. And there's reasons for that. There was a scheme change and everything like that. But like he is a guy that I, I told you in the DMs, like, is this a guy that we look at four years later and 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 the fan base that he's playing for continues to make the excuse, well, he's played in three different systems in the last four years. You know what I mean? So Jordan Love, Utah State. I'll, I'll start with this question. How big is the gap between Herbert and Love? Like if you're going Herbert, I'll probably take him in the top five. I'm fairly comfortable with that. Where are you comfortably taking Love? 20s. Okay. And he's like, not definitely I, not going to go there. He's going to go in the teens, right? No, he's going to go in the teens. And we know he's going to go in the teens. And look, I'm saying that. I'm holding up for everybody. Watch on News Channel 8. The little Jordan Love notebook that they were kind enough to send to me preseason. They sent the little mints. Jordan Love. Love for Heisman. Vote for Love. This is like a Joe Exotic, like, you know, run for, for governor pack. Right. There. Well, it's like the um, Ed Oliver when they sent the Ed Oliver bobbleheads. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. My son has that upstairs in his room right now. Um, but yeah, they, Utah State sent out some mints, a little notebook, which I think I'm going to use at some point when we get to go back to a grocery store. I'll use it for grocery shopping. <laughs> like, I was asked this in another DM about 
where I stand on Herbert versus Love. And I think the way I ended up coming down on it was I trust Herbert not to screw up as much. Yeah. Like, that's kind of how I feel about it. Now, Love said all the right things down in Mobile at the Combine, 17 interceptions, 17 learning lessons, 17 mistakes to learn from, said all the right things. People got sent these packets in the summer because we were watching his 2018 tape and people were blown away with what he was doing. Toolsy, big arm. I even wrote some pieces about how I thought his process and speed might be better than what he was getting credit for. But you watch the 2018 tape, he's still making bad throws. I mean, to steal a phrase from Kean Faye, he had probably 17 interceptable passes. Like mm. the tape in 2018 was just as inconsistent. And I think perhaps he could be that quarterback that – you know, was playing in his third system after, you know, playing for one conservative-minded head off, off the head, head coach. And then now he's playing for Matt Nagy and he's trying to piece it together. And eventually he'll get there. Obviously, I'm going down a, a Mitchell Trubisky road here and trying to make that little comparison. Like, I think there are huge questions about him. And the big arm, the athleticism, you can see how teams will talk themselves into, okay, well, Josh Allen made it work. He relied on the arm and the athleticism. But I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if that's worthy of like a top 10, top 15 pick. Mm. Like if he falls to a team, you know, in the 20s or so that doesn't need to play him right away. Like if he somehow falls to the Saints at 24. Yeah. Or, you know, my ideal situation for him before they traded out of 13 was Indianapolis. Right. Like he goes to Indy. He sits behind Rivers. Frank Reich, who coached up once a little bit, at least he has that track record of quarterback development. So you could believe that it will happen. Like, absent a situation like that, like if he goes to a team like, say, the Chargers, okay? Their new offensive coordinator has no record of quarterback development. I'm not so sure we can make it work. Like, I feel much better about his prospects if he goes to a place where there's that track record. Absent that, I'm very wary. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because that was my fit too for, for Love. If he was going to go high, it needed to be with a guy with a track record development like Frank Reich. Yeah. So I'm totally on board with you there. He's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, let's go to quarterback number five. Coming in with the big-armed, dodo-brained Jacob Eason from Washington. He reminds me, and I and I hate this like same school type thing. He reminds me so much of Jake Locker. Just Big arm, big dude, got a cannon, just ripping it out. No idea what he's doing. Like really subject to like highs and lows. Like his highs are are, are pretty doggone high. I think I told you in another show I was watching him. And like in the first like 13 throws, I was like, whoa, who, wait, what's going on with this guy? And then like the next 30 throws were like, oh, okay. I, I get why there are some questions about this guy. He's super erratic. I don't think he deals with pressure well. You see the scattershot accuracy, which is a big concern for me. You don't really see like the touch that 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 you want to see. So, okay. What what about the the ideal situation for him? We talked about it with Love. Like maybe if you get to the Bucks at like pick 45, you let him yeah. sit behind Brady. Is that something uh, along the lines of what you could be on board with? Yeah. You know, I, I think most people had sort of penciled them in at like 14 to the Bucks. Thinking, look, they'll just they'll draft this kid. It's the ideal fit, the big arm, whatever. You know, and I think now, given how his sort of pre-draft process has played out, combined with the free agency movements the teams have made, like there's not that big of a market for him in the first round, I don't think. I'd be stunned if he comes off the board in the first round. I think Tampa Bay in the second makes a lot of sense because at 14, they could draft a tackle. 
They can draft somebody that's going to protect Brady because that's your biggest need right now is making sure Tom Brady stays upright. And then you can address sort of a post-Brady life by getting Eason you know, in that round. The comparison that seems to make sense to me, and I was on um, Evan Lazar's show, him and Adam Kirkshin, you know, the Patriots All-22 podcast talking about Pat's quarterback fits. It's eerily reminiscent of Ryan Mallett. Like another guy with a massive arm, massive size for the position, but just wasn't quite there mentally. So first round arm, you know, fifth round head kind of player. You mentioned his ability or lack thereof to deal with pressure. One of the things that you could at least say for Josh Allen when he was coming out was that when he felt pressure, he would at least have the wherewithal to roll out to his right where it's easier to make throws as a right-handed quarterback. Jacob Eason, like, bails to his left. He does this, like, spin move away from the line of scrimmage and, like, rolls to his left. It's like, you can't do that, buddy. Like, that's just not the best move for you. And I don't know if it was something he did in, like, high school and he was like, man, this felt great. And now he just does it because I must. I don't know. But it makes absolutely no sense. And then, as I mentioned with Herbert, you know, there are plays that stick with you. And try as you might to avoid like applying that framework of one play to their entire body of work. You can't help but not do that. Against California, they were down by two late in the game. And they're driving. It's like under three minutes to go. And he has one of those moments. They're like on the cusp of field goal range that are like the plus 35 or so. He has one of those moments where he gets pressured. He wants to throw a bubble to the right. It gets blown up. So he pulls it down. So, so far, so good. Good no-throw decision. But then he does his, like, spin-out, roll to the left. And rather than throw it away, he, like, slides for a loss of two. (laughs) And it's like, the clock is rutted now. You've made the potential field goal that much harder for your kicker. Now, the guy still makes it, and they take the lead. Cal ends up beating him anyway. But I was just like, do you even know what down-distance situation? What what is this? (laughs) And remember... Not to, again, bring up Trubisky. Remember he had that moment in that Monday nighter against Washington where he like ran out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage when he could have just thrown it away? It was like the same type of thing. It's like, how do you have that level of vapor lock play in this position? Like it's one thing if you like, you know, miss a read or maybe you like, you know, take a sack when you shouldn't. Like even then it's questionable, but to just give up when you can just throw it away. Like, so there's a scattershot aspect to him. So he comes in at five. It's more like if somebody's going to bet on the arm and like I can at least see it where it works. There are times when he runs the play action stuff off of deep drop back to the defense and that looks nice. So there's a possibility. Would it surprise me if Hertz and Fromm come off the board before him? No. Hmm. Like I'm hearing right now, one of those guys, perhaps Hertz, goes in the first round. Like a team is going to talk themselves into the fifth year option and buy in on one or both of those guys before Eason. Mm. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Okay. Because in this climate, when you don't have a chance to have those extra top 30 meetings, the lingering impressions of what they saw at the combine are going to stick with them. With Hertz, obviously, Hertz had a fantastic combine. Yeah. Hertz has had a fantastic pre draft process. He yeah. was good down at the senior bowl, was probably. QB3 down there. At times, it looked like QB2 instead of love. High character, and yeah. High character guy. Crushed it at the combine. You can only imagine what he was like during those meeting rooms, those hotel suites. So I'm sure that, look, everybody's doing their due diligence on him. And we're hearing today 
stuff that I was telling people back in Indy and before that. Yeah, Fromm is going to look awful in the parts we see about the combine. He's not going to test well. He's not going to throw well. But we're going to hear after Indy at some point before the draft that he just crushed it yeah. in the meetings. And what are we reading today on the timeline? Bucky Brooks. Yeah. Fromm just crushed it in the meetings. Quarterback coaches absolutely love him. He's moving up boards. Quarterback coaches, offensive coordinators love what they see. Because remember, these are risk-averse people with mortgages to pay. Yeah. And so if you draft Jacob Eason in the second round, you might get fired. If you draft Jake Fromm in the second round, he checks a lot of the boxes. He doesn't make mistakes with the football. Hmm. He's not going to get you fired immediately. Fromm, Fromm is interesting because he's low risk. He does take care of the football. He's just never going to be like the guy. No, yeah, He's never going to be the guy. He is going to be... At best, a Kirk Cousins type quarterback. Right. At absolute best. Yeah. But Kirk Cousins type quarterbacks get sixty million guaranteed <laughs> because they're guys that won't lose you games. They're guys that you can win with. Obviously, every franchise would rather have the guy that wins games for you. You know, the Brady's, the Mahomes's, those types of players. But if you can't get them, you'll settle for the guy that won't cost you games, and that is from. Now he does have baby hands. That's going to be an issue for him. As much as we make fun of QB hand size day, sub nine inch hands can be an issue, especially when you watch him against Kentucky in that game in the monsoon, where it's like he was playing football in a bathtub. Like he couldn't <laughs> grip the ball. Like it was awful. <laughs> so that's something to keep in mind. But Fromm is a quarterback that is not going to get you fired. A quarterback that might get you fired, still love him though. And we'll talk about him next week. Yeah. Cole McDonald's. Oh, buddy. I Cannot can't wait. Wait. I had so much more fun with these like developmental type guys than I had with oh, yeah. like the, the second and third round. Guys. Like, there's some. Let me ask you this because I had this realization the other day. I was watching Troy die, the Oregon linebacker. Yeah, and I love him by the way. Yeah, I like, like him. he's my like linebacker three. Like I know that's ridiculously high on him, Spicy. but I have him ahead of Murray. Like I love this kid, and he was one of those players that I was like three and a half games in on. And I'm like, look, I know what he is. Three games later, I'm still watching him because I just wanted to keep <laughs> watching him. It was just fun. I didn't have the time to do it. I was ignoring the family. Our marriages are fine, by the way. But I was ignoring the family just to watch more Troy die. That's how I felt about Anthony Gordon and Cole McDonald. Like, yeah. I knew who they were, like, 20 throws in. But yeah. 40, 400 more throws, I'm still watching because they're fun. Steven Ruiz dropped on the timeline. I've watched Anthony Gordon for 30 minutes, and I don't want to overreact, but... I would absolutely die for this man. I, I 100% agree. Like I, I said this on the radio the other day. Like when Anthony Gordon looks in the mirror, he doesn't see Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon sees Patrick Mahomes, and he's yes, nowhere he near yes, Patrick he, Mahomes. But it's you remember the tweet I put out like yeah. before the combine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The clip, yeah, yeah, where <laughs> he tries a no look throw to a wide open receiver in the middle of the field. <laughs> There's nobody within. He's the only other person in the frame. <laughs> He no-looks it for no reason and misses it by like six yards. I love it. I love it's it. It's just great. I absolutely adored it. That and my Cole McDonald story, I, I can't wait for next week. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So we're going to cover that next week. We thank you for uh, for joining us and, and all the support, like really, that, that you give uh, the BGN feed, you, gentle listener specifically, uh, that allows us to continue to do this through these through these tough times for everyone. We hope you're uh, you're doing well. We hope you're getting through it. And uh, hopefully this all ends soon. But Mark, say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. Goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. Perfect. Just end it like that. Boom. There's the music. Here it comes.
P-G-N.